listeners. Here we are, not so giant women. Hi. Daria and Ivy about to watch our first season finale, beginning with part one, The Return. So, yes, spent the last couple episodes kind of building to something. Quite a few previous episodes, you know, seeding what's going to happen here. But I don't know. I mean, we were kind of discussing last week that it might not feel quite like we're ready for something big, but, you know, <laughs> we know the season finale. <laughs> They did have a couple of breather episodes, but yeah. the return sounds pretty impressive and <laughs> ties into what Lapis was saying in episode or three back. Yes, but the return of who or what? Yeah, <laughs> we're about to find out. <laughs> we are the Crystal Gems, we'll always save the day. Your armies are ruined. You have failed. Oh. oh. Wow. And that's what we go out on. There were some stars. <laughs> okay. Dive straight in and doesn't let up this one. Oh, yeah. <sighs> All right. That said, it does begin fairly peacefully as the Universe Boys are getting some fry bits and... Oh. Greg expresses his worries about what may be to come. And as they talk, they see something in the sky and they rush closer to the beach where the other three crystal gems have their telescope and what's in the sky is a giant green metallic hand. This, it appears, is a ship from the gem homeworld lining up the laser light cannons. They're not working. The hand just kind of, well, does a talk to the hand gesture and just... Nothing happens. They need to evacuate the city, they realize. Stephen's voice of hope needs to be a voice of hope for the people of Beach City. Mayor Dewey doesn't like pointing fingers at the best of times and is trying to evacuate with catchy slogans and his usual manner. But with Stephen's help, they get the people into their vehicles and while panicking, they're nonetheless on their way out of the city. The Germans and Greg break it to Stephen that they're evacuating him too. They say he needs to protect the people of Beach City, but of course, they're also trying to protect him. On the drive out of the city, Greg starts explaining some things to Stephen, which is pretty much putting together the pieces we've had dropped for us before, that previously there has been an invasion and war on Earth with Rose leading the rebellion against the other gems, the homeworld, the gempire, however you think of them, and... Greg says that one of the reasons he's not told Stephen all this in so many words before is he doesn't want Stephen to think of the other gems, including his mother, as alien invaders, even if they are now just doing good and trying to make up for it. They've never quite forgiven themselves. He also lets slip that there would have been far more deaths if it hadn't been for Rose's shield. And of course, Rose's shield and all her protective powers are now part of Stephen. Stephen realizes he needs to go back and help the gems if they have any chance of getting through this. He argues with his dad a bit about turning the van around and when punching the dashboard of the van he pops out the airbag which ejects him and his bubble out of the van which airbag can do that. That's probably actually very unsafe a safety feature must be said but who knows how long Greg's van has been around. <laughs> the caravan of beach cityans stop to see if everyone's okay they are Stephen puts greg in charge of protecting the beaches and he says he'll find his own way to get back to beach city at which point a pink paw appears and it's lion and he says that'll do yeah oh lion jumps onto lion and with a bit of running and portals returns to the beach where the gems are trying arming up and fusions and all sort of things to fend off the hand ship but it is not working they say to themselves, oh, at least Stephen's safe. <laughs> Look, he's here. <laughs> the handship makes a landing. It's outstretched fingers and palm making a kind of landing ramp. And three people emerge, three other gems. One is, unsurprisingly, Peridot, as they had anticipated all along. One is Lapis, who doesn't look happy to be here. And a third is a big bruiser of a gem. Looks like the sort of being who would be voiced by Fred Tattershaw on any other show. But, you know, the type garnet sized upwards, twice as wide sideways. Definitely a good set of gem muscles on them. <laughs> There's a bit of back and forth of 
don't hurt Stephen, don't hurt the planet. The bruiser gem is originally whatever. These are just three losers and a human. They know what a human is, so probably suggest that they have A, been here before and been paying more attention than some of the, well, I say some of, we've only seen two other gems, really, but paying enough attention to work out what a human is. <laughs> but when the barrage from the ship is stopped by Rose's shield, the bruiser recognizes it and is like, oh, holy gem crap, that's Rose's shield. This is somehow Rose Quartz. <laughs> holy gem crap, I'm going to have to start saying that one. And notes that yellow diamond will want to know about this. <laughs> so goes into tussle with Garnet, but has a wand thing. I think they call it a destabilizer. It's like a cattle prod. Prods mm. Garnet with it, and Garnet quite horrifically kind of gets yellow glowing energy dividing lines all over her body and just puffs out of existence. Her body's starting to come apart until it's just her gems lying on the ground. And here we leave our heroes in a whole mess of trouble. So, yeah, action, peril, and lore drops this week. Indeed. Hmm. Yep. So we are talking about this one before watching part two. So we are, of course, going to watch part two immediately after this. So if anyone concerned about that, no, I'm not going to make her wait. Yes, but, you know, it's kind of nice to be able to dig into this one since a lot of the attention for the two-parter will always go to the second half. So, so much happened. Yeah, confirmed a few things for us. I mean, Greg's little speech in the van, while it was nothing actually new to us, kind of put in a nutshell what we'd been able to put together for ourselves or for anyone who had missed or hadn't been getting all the bits that this is what happened, so... Yeah, yeah, and maybe Greg didn't know that Stephen knew that stuff or had ever heard any pieces of it, so... Mm, or had put it all together... Yeah. Stephen didn't seem to have put it all together in a row that this meant that his friends were nominally part of a hostile force at some part. Right, it really doesn't seem to have sunk in all the way, even though Pearl told him in a previous thing, like, oh, well, some gems thought that, the, you know, the gems that came here were wrong and we decided to get rid of them, blah, blah. Which, yeah, while it doesn't definitely mean it, at least implies that Rose and Pearl were part of whatever they were rebelling against before they rebelled against it. Mm-hmm. Changed sides or created a rebellion. I mean, you don't just rebel against something from the very beginning. <laughs> and, of course, the mention of yellow diamond fits <laughs> with R- Ronaldo, of all people's theory, mm-hmm. that, diamond, that there's a diamond authority. I think it also fits with a Daria theory. <laughs> I granted. I imagined any head diamond as, well, I don't think there was such a thing as a yellow diamond, but I, I thought given how high that diamonds are in our earth view of gems, that this society may uh, do a similar thing and that someone called yellow diamond, someone or something called yellow diamond is way up the pole and yeah. that rose would be of interest to them. Yeah, but clearly it is not, it is beneath yellow diamond to come on this mission personally. <laughs> yeah, well, until until that point, we do see, that as far as we can tell, the only people who have come are just the, the three of them. So it wasn't quite the jam army we were anticipating, even if they are heavily armed with their now thousands of years advanced spaceship. Right. And it does have weapons, although there's no indication that necessarily like, oh, this is a warship or something. Just kind of seems like Peridot is super annoyed that they keep breaking her stuff. And she's just like, I'm going to go there and find out. <laughs> mm. And the bruiser is like, eh, whatevs. Bring some muscle with me to beat them up because mm. I'm just a sysadmin. <laughs> yeah. And I guess Lapis is along because they wanted to see if they could tap what last bits of up-to-date Earth information she might have, even though there's really not a lot. Yeah, I guess the only thing that I saw is just them confirming that that was their base, and she said yes, but it seemed like, I mean, they must have had the coordinates, right? So they Mm. dragged her back to Earth just to, like, do that. Yeah, and and even if they didn't recognize the base straight out, they could see the crystal gems right in front of them, and they identified them correctly. Yeah including locking into another thing we've been wondering about when they call Pearl a defective Pearl, Mm -hmm. which goes back to the, are their names, their names per se, or also identifying that they are one of several Pearls or Amethysts or whatever. 
Right. There's definitely a lot of talk about what that meant when you hear this phrasing. It's like, oh, that that was not an accident. Yeah. To, to me, well, I've got to say it doesn't confirm because it doesn't actually confirm, but it certainly points pretty hard to Pearl, not only being functionally Pearl's name, but Pearl is also Pearl's class of being. Yeah. Whether that's a rank thing or a taxonomic thing or a biological thing, we don't know. And apparently there's something defective about ours charming mm. <sighs> but <laughs> without any other pearls to compare to of course we have no idea what that might be yep yeah so far we really only have one example of any gem so <laughs> and amethyst is a runt well okay is that yeah, she's uh, little yeah that, <laughs> some things are pretty straightforward i don't think we have to work out too hard why they called amethyst a runt <laughs> Uh, a full phrasing of that was overcooked runt, which is very interesting. Oh, right. Yeah. So there may be more going on there. So overcooked, put a pin in that, but runt, yeah, runt is runt. Yeah. Yeah. We know she's little. And garnet was what, a wanton display, a flagrant display, something like that? Shameless. Shameless. It was some kind of... Mm-hmm. You got the flavor. <laughs> yeah, some kind of word just stuck up great auntie says. Yeah. But that wasn't yeah. expanded on much until yeah, Garnet. Also. Mm. Mm. I think they've been looking up ways to express your feelings in just enough information to tease anyone who may be watching. Yeah. <laughs> but what's really interesting about it is how everybody around acts like they know what this is about, you know, and then obviously Stephen doesn't. So he's us. He's our view into this. He doesn't know what any of this means, but like... It's just cool to watch, kind of like when we go all the way back to when Lapis was a new character halfway through this first series again. <laughs> she expected Stephen to know why it wouldn't make sense for Crystal Gems to be helping her, you know, like, and Stephen's like, what do you mean? We're all gems. We help each other, whatever. Why would we fight? So, uh, like, it's just refreshing to see a cartoon that doesn't sit there and say, we're going to explain every last piece to you. We're just, they're just talking to each other. They're not going to, as you know, Bob us. And for once, Stephen can be forgiven for not asking follow-up questions <laughs> in the heat of the moment. Yep. Yeah. Excuse me, Miss Peridot. Why did you say he's a defective? Why did you say she's a defective pearl? What's defective? Yeah, yeah. He kind of learned his lesson about asking questions from her because she then just tried to smack him and then reported him. <laughs> and now they're in this mess. Yeah, yeah. And in that same scene, you know, where you're getting all this like judgy commentary about the crystal gems, you know, and Stephen being seen as just some kind of, he's just this organic creature that's back there, like pointless to worry about. But we're also kind of learning a lot about, well, this is one of the most blatant sort of villain characterizations that I've ever it was unambiguous it was just like oh you're gonna show up on earth and say like boy i wish your mom was here so i could beat her ass you know <laughs> like <laughs> you know what i mean oh no one saw rose quartz too bad i wanted to beat her into the ground <laughs> yeah and obviously old rosie still they still remember what she did because when the bruiser sees the shield they there's like stop dead serious business not yeah. huh, rose quartz wonder what happened to her I really liked that, how suddenly the tune changed. So like, oh, this is dangerous. Shoot it. I like that because <laughs> it really makes you feel like, wow, Roseports must have been like this huge enemy to them. Like if she's here, you should basically be panicking. And now the whole mission is off. Yeah, because it would have been easy to believe. We weren't actually told one way or the other, but it wouldn't have been an unreasonable conclusion to think, well, thousands of years and we don't know how much of a big deal Rose Quartz was. She might have just been consigned to history, but yeah. not so much. Yeah, but they have, they certainly have heard of her. So it was neat how the episode started so similarly to Laser Light Cannon, wasn't it? Ah. It's kind of like, yes, there were laser light cannons in this one too, but it's like, it started with fry bits, just like laser light cannon. It had light cannons in it and it had the whole telescope thing. We're going to check on whether it had an effect. It's It's got a lot of parallels. It's just really interesting. After a few seconds of tease with Greg's fist on the ledge. <laughs> Give me the... <laughs> Petey's like, I saw you guys coming. <laughs> and you're a bit is that some kind of huge thing no we're just in close-up it's right it's and like a huge hand <laughs> it's like the ironing scene in rise of skywalker or last or the last jedi whichever one it was <sighs> hmm. 
There's a scene in that for the, those who haven't seen where this odd angle looks like this weird steam emitting spaceship coming to land, but it's actually just an odd angle on someone's eye and smoothing their clothes. That's clever. No. But yeah, the mood in this one, once it did not let you pause for breath, once it's just kept yeah. getting raising and raising the stakes. Yeah, got right into it. Like, I mean, one minute we're joking about fry bits and PD's making comments like, don't patronize me, sir. And then all the windows break and it's just like serious from then on out. Yeah. And poor Greg in the van. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very serious. Oh, everything he said, you could tell straight afterwards, you could tell that was the wrong thing to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very tense moments there. I mean, he's just... He doesn't want Stephen to be hurt, but he admires that he wants to protect other people and it reminds him of Rose. And, you know, it's got to be very hard to... He was already questioning whether Stephen should be dealing with something of this magnitude, you know? And, but, you know. <laughs> and the bruiser is also identifying Stephen as Rose once they work out the gems there. So I guess that makes sense if you're a culture of shapeshifters that you'll, dis- you'll discard any visual discrepancy once you've seen, you know, the actual gem, which to most intents and purposes is the core of the being. Right. And Stephen made an obvious rose quartz shield, which was a known symbol. So it's like, all right, this that more than anything else would indicate identity. Yeah, if Rose for some reason looks like a human now would be the, the thought process to someone like a gem, whereas we non-gems can far more grasp this is a human who has inherited Rose traits through various give up of physical forms somehow off-screen methods. Yeah, and this is the first time Stephen is encountering that concept, like why someone would think he was his mother. And he's definitely got a handle on how to raise his shield at a moment's notice at the moment. Mm-hmm. Was good job, Stephen. <laughs> he was very competent in this. Like, well, I guess, I mean, he didn't mean to punch the dashboard so hard that it crumpled. I mean, he's got some strength there, but then he was fast enough with his bubble that he didn't get hurt when he got slammed out of the car. <laughs> I also sometimes wonder if, if in circumstances like that, the bubble unconsciously pops up. It seems reflexive in that situation. And just these things are starting to smooth out as he has more and more experience and use of the bubble or the shield. Yeah. He seemed really eager in this episode, like not just when he was panicking and saying that he wanted to go help them, but he wasn't like cowering or anything when he was talking into the walkie-talkie, making the like cannons fire. And he was dismayed when he was told to, with Garnet's beautiful speech there, telling him that, I really like that scene too, where they're just like, who's going to tell him? And, you know, Amethyst's like, I'm not good with this stuff. Pearl's just patting her on the head, trying to think of something, and Garnet just steps up and says it. Yeah, well, she did some very Garnet sort of, you've had your moment, right, let's get down to it, down to business. Yeah, I mean, after she evicts Stephen and makes him think like, you have a destiny, you have to protect humans, you know, don't, I won't, I know you won't disappoint me kind of thing. Yeah, she gave them their little moment where Pearl is, you know, turning away and Amethyst is really upset and she's like, pull it together. Like, now it's time to fight this. I've got a job to do. It's really heartbreaking, honestly, like trying to imagine the heaviness of that. And it was palpable too, like sitting there in that car and hearing Greg talk about there's no such thing as a good war and how humans and gems died the first time. He says, it was thousands of years ago. It's not like I was there. Some people thought that he was suggesting he actually was there, but he wasn't. (laughs) He's just saying, literally, it's not like I was there. But yeah, it's hard to hear about those realities when you're a little kid and you've always managed to get out of these situations. And even though he's sort of, he's kind of aware of the war, this is his his closest up close and personal experience of it. It's been very much a detached historic event to him so far. Right. And yeah, the gems out in space who are mad for some reason are just a concept. Yeah. And he's also been... I guess maybe maybe also confident in his, I can usually talk people down and get them to be, be nice to each other. Yeah, but he didn't get to say a damn word. Yeah, and well, I'm not sure any of them would have wanted to listen. Well, mm-hmm. La- Lapis is soon she does, but she's obviously not the ranking officer here. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely dismissive toward her. Yeah, whereas, well, Peridot's already shown that she's not interested and the other one is just, eh, <laughs> whatever. 
maybe behind the scenes, they're like, Lapis, you're not even wearing any shoes. Put some shoes on and we'll talk. <laughs> it's barefoot. Hippie granola, Jim. I know. And she's a waterbender, too. <laughs> they were right there by the ocean. Like, she could have been dangerous. <laughs> also, poor Lapis, just not catching a break. Obviously, all the centuries in a mirror and now the poor homecoming and now she's got to be dragged along as the some kind of resource yeah just to confirm yeah that's their base oh yeah i'm not yeah i'm not sure why they decided she should be taken along i guess she was the informant and they wanted to keep an eye on her yeah pop, just in case something did pop up and they could go lapis you know you know what you know what that is <laughs> Do all humans have chariots with replicas of their own heads on top? Yeah. <laughs> Neither do we. Who believed that pointing fingers would make him very nervous? Yeah. <laughs> you seem to really enjoy that joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. When Stephen called him right before that, he had a really peculiar photo in his phone of him. Like he looked like he was either drunk or just woke up. Like, where'd you get that picture of Mayor Dewey? <laughs> yeah. Remember when I thought, is that one of Stephen's bizarre art projects that he's scanning through his phone? Right. Yeah. I think Lion was right below him. <laughs> Lion is in his phone. Lion having a smartphone, that's, that's just cute. You know, on the one hand, I laughed at that. But on the other hand, I've been asked similar questions as to why I have certain entries for people who are like babies and children in my phone. And I'm like, well, I created separate entries for them because that's the only way that I can put their birthday on my calendar attached to the person, you know. So, you know, I was updating my stuff and somebody asks me, why do you have toddlers birthdays? I mean, they all have the same address as their parent and the same phone number as their parent. And I'm like, yeah, but different birthday. So maybe maybe he puts it in there to keep track of stuff, stuff that has to do with Lion and put him on his calendar. <laughs> Lion like, definitely showing the he takes Stephen where he needs to be trait. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. He shows up. Yeah. And, you know, actually just took him straight to Beach City. Didn't just ignore him or, or start cleaning himself or something. <laughs> oh, there's a lizard. <laughs> yeah. He did a little bit of a heroic steed run so that Stephen had time to call Connie and leave that incredibly depressing message before he teleported down to the beach. Can you imagine receiving that message? Yeah. Boy. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I was almost wondering if we we're going to get like a post-credit sequence of a return voice, a return voicemail of Connie just going, what? Yeah, yeah. what'd you say? Uh, there's a giant space hand and we all might die. I mean... My goodness. Of course, Dr. Maheshwaran's outgoing message on there is like so kind of rude. It's like, and keep it short. <laughs> wow. Tell us how you really feel, Dr. Maheshwaran. Well, you sometimes wonder if it weren't for the entirely different agendas. I think she and Peridot might get on sometimes. <laughs> oh, well, now I need that uh, fantasy. Appropriate levels of snippiness and exasperation common to the two. Mm-hmm. And probably some technical language. Yep. <laughs> Oh, what else? Speaking of technical, I like the handship thing. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought of the design of the ship. I thought it was, well, it certainly makes a difference from your standard stock starships. Yeah. And also that it moves in ways that, that fit with what it's doing. Like when it's firing, it does a finger gun thing. When it's blocking, it puts up the talk to the hand gesture. When yeah. it's disembarking, it lays down off its palm out for people to come along it. And it... When it's in standard flight, it points toward where it's going. Yeah, which makes you wonder, like, how, if, if up doesn't seem to have a meaning inside, like, how is it outfitted? You know, how do you decide where the floor is and where the ceiling is? Seems like it shouldn't work. Yeah, and hmm, I guess it depends on how they do gravity at all in their spaceship. That's true. If, like, they were always on what they considered the floor, then they wouldn't care. Yeah, and that could be why they need the little bubble thing to get out because it might also serve to recenter them to if their floor is currently outside ceiling or something. Oh, I'm liking this talk. <laughs> Figuring out how Gemtech works. Speaking of which, I really liked this is kind of unusual, I think, in cartoons like this, especially when you have a protagonist who usually can talk people down out of problems. They're not really doing a whole lot of sort of useless giving them a chance to fight, you know, like they're just like, let's shoot them and be done. <laughs> yeah. Like we didn't come here to fight with them. We came here to get them out of our way. Yeah. And the 
invaders, I guess, didn't sort of stop and explain their plan to the Earth crystal gems. Right. In fact, we still don't know quite what their plan was other than these people have been messing with my stuff. All the stuff about Rose is new to the mission because they're prepared to just, you know, whatever it until the shield made it explicit. Mm -hmm. And Peridot didn't give a crap because, you know, she's like, she's trying to accomplish something. And since these are the ones that are breaking her stuff, like it's time to go there and get rid of the people breaking her stuff. But other than that, you don't really know what she's up to. Yeah, I kind of have got the impression that Peridot might be younger than, well, than the gems we've met so far. Mm-hmm. Grantus, I mean, granted how old or young Lapis is, is up in the air if she was in mirror suspension for centuries. But Right, yeah, what well, gives she, you that impression about Peridot? Partly just her general demeanour, mm-hmm. but also the reaction to the Rose's Shield business. Ah, she is obviously aware that this is a thing. It's like, look, see, Rose's, Rose's shield, but is, and even though this is, isn't entirely new to her, her reaction, the big one's reaction is more personal or seems more personal, more, I know what this is, I've been there. Right, like this feeling like, oh, you have a grudge against Rose Quartz. Mm, yeah. I'm R- on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And they talk about knowing humans, which... Mm-hmm makes it likely they were part of the Earth stuff the first time round. I mean, it, mm. it could be that there are humans on other planets in the universe in this universe, but they seem to be keeping it simple so far that humans are of Earth. Mm. So, yeah, so Peridot strikes me. She's aware of the weight this carries, but it's distance from her personally. Right. So it's like if one person was in a war and another person read a book about the war. Yeah. Well, it's like if you went to a war memorial with someone who had been in the war and you hadn't. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I've done this with older relatives because I live in a city with a big war memorial and mm-hmm. they are obviously having some personal reaction because this is all about stuff they've seen or been involved in. Whereas as much as any of who have not been in a war can read about it and know and feel that it's horrible it's not a first person experience that we are drawing from or being reminded of yeah there was also that thing back in marble madness where peridot Rhea responded to the pearl like yelling about the crystal gems and she's like the crystal gems <laughs> like mm. almost acting like she didn't really know how to react to that it was just confusion yeah like she'd come across a bunch of round heads or something <laughs> right <laughs> That makes sense. So, and of course, we've said before that what age means in any form to a gem is still a bit up in the air, but I do get the impression that, yeah, Peridot is, in terms of time alive and or experience, the least of the mm-hmm. the seven we've met so far. I could, I could get with that. Yeah, and there is this kind of almost shallow response that she's got where she's just like, they're breaking my things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was her first why we're here moment. Yeah. She didn't open with the, I think these people have connections to the rebellion and Rose and all the rest. She doesn't really seem to give a crap. She's just like, they're breaking my machines. And like, I guess she can't do anything about it after a while and except do a field visit. (laughs) If your robots can't fix it and you worry that you might be in danger personally, if you use a warp pad to come there and you find a crying breakfast friend sticker on your warp pad and you're like, oh, it's compromised. I can't be here. I'm going to (laughs) leave. And not to mention they keep breaking the warp pads anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be... Yeah, that'd be another reason not to just pop back through with an escort. That's right. That's right. But I was actually wondering kind of if they dispensed with the niceties, like they didn't care about trying to negotiate or be diplomatic or anything, partly because the Crystal Gems actually fired on them like three different times before they even got there. Like they had reason to believe this was bad news, but they hit him with the light cannon. What else? They hit him with Opal's arrows. That was cool. We got to see Opal. Yeah. She wasn't there for very long, but her, you could see her, if you stare at her for a second, her outfit is slightly different because Pearl has reformed since we saw her. So, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Kind of neat. Like, you're like, look, he's got this like thing around her waist, like Pearl now. And she didn't have that before. And it's just, wow, little, little fun details about how their components affect the fusion but she didn't say anything so you and know. she popped apart fairly easily even yeah. i think we've speculated before that 
all fusions are not created equally and she's one of the less stable ones. Yeah. Given Pearl and Amethyst's reactions after Opal fell apart, it seemed like they just felt very differently about Stephen coming back because Pearl is like, what are you doing? Get out of here. And Amethyst like, you came back. <laughs> so yeah. Opal could uh, handle that. <laughs> yeah, Amethyst probably knows it's best for Stephen not to be here, but mm-hmm. still personally likes the idea of him being there, which is not a contradiction that happens. Yeah, like that. Yeah, it's like a, a feeling like, wow, this person came back for us and abandoned us. Yeah, and I probably should wish he was elsewhere and safe, but obviously that ship has flown. Yes. Yeah. So feeling those two things at the same time, it's like it just was too much contradiction for Opal to, to ride it out. So her arrows were cool. <laughs> yeah. No, I, do, I do like Opal's overall style when she is keeping it together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny how she stand, still stands on her toes, like right there on the beach. She's got her ballet slippers. <laughs> funny. Yeah. They didn't go right up to Alexandrite, but then they might simply have not had a chance. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming that Opal is good for long distance because she had the bow. So they were like, let's use this. <laughs> yeah. But it and didn't when- do it useless. <laughs> And by the time they were up close, it was all sort of pressing. Oh, yeah. And then Garnet got disembodied, destabilized. Sure did. And that was brutal as hell. Yeah. Slow-mo and everything, right in front of Stephen. Yeah. Unlike when they fuse or something, she didn't just sort of turn into a blob of light. You saw bits of her her body actually coming off. Yeah. Yeah, and there were like dents in the sand for where pieces of her must have sat for a second before she like vaporized. That's so, it's really brutal, even though there was no blood or anything. Yeah, well, her her face and voice certainly sold how nasty that was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, and it really is very, very effective. Like, you know, now they're in deep, deep shit because the strongest member of their team just got snapped, like, when her visor just cracked. It's just like, whoa, that is a good way to convey what is the power that is being fought against here. Mm. And her gems landed down as two separate gems. So it's not that one hand is just an extension of the other or anything. So whether on track or not, she certainly keeps herself in two gems, two, a red and a blue gem, rather than a purplish gem, which does make sense. And we know my garnet ideas have been banding about and this leans closer to it but doesn't quite land it so yeah well in any case like seeing that well i remember that you were kind of you were talking about when we learned that when gems get hurt they will retreat into their gems you brought up what about if you're garnet and you have two what's going to happen so one way or the other we're going to find out Yeah, I mean, I briefly entertained that the two gems were not quite really, unquote, two gems, that maybe one was her true gem and one was just like a practical extension, if you will. Like mirroring, like aesthetics or something. Yeah, and she was just able to sort of channel the channel the true gem power through the opposite gem because that was a convenient way to do things if you don't have a nice centralized gem like the other two do. Mm-hmm. But the gem is entirely tangible and clattered down much as Pearl's Pearl did. So Yeah, there's definitely two of them there. Hmm. They're sitting in the sand. But as we've explored, Rebecca Sugar takes delight in taking my half-form theories and giving me half an answer. So Yeah, it's true. But I think, number one, like this aired very close, you know, right before what you know what what the season finale is going to be so like they don't give you a whole lot of time to breathe with this information before they just barrel ahead with the story plus it's just so shocking to see garnet just destroyed like that that i think a lot of people were only thinking about that afterwards well yeah and certainly my main takeaway was the emotional hit of what it was like for her to be torn apart condensed mm-hmm. re-gemstoned yeah and certainly looked well it looked more painful than when pearl's own hologram stabbed her through the gut so that's Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was no like prolonged effect or whatever. It's almost like she was being electrocuted. Yeah, that's the light energy, whatever, from the cattle prod destabilizer thing was sort of seeping through her body. And well, they gave the impression that every centimeter it went on was that much more pain for her. Mm, yeah. this, is, this is not a weapon for painlessly bringing down your enemy. 
Right. But it does make short work of them. Like, you know, it's again, a much more effective way of dealing with enemies that you just want gone. You don't want a fair fight. You just are like, I'm exterminating you, which is really interesting for a kid's cartoon, I guess. You know, you you have villains all the time that show up and take too long to like give the heroes too many chances to succeed. And And I know it has the PG rating, but it's still at its heart a kid's show. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, So, yeah, Yeah. most of the rest of my thoughts about you, well, what happens now? Right. Yeah. I wonder where the beach city residents were going. Where well, we? not Ocean Town. Yeah. <laughs> not Ocean Town. Would have been interesting if maybe Stephen showed up, if he had continued with his evacuation, if he had showed up at Connie's house. And it could be going to whatever nearby town or city or other settlement that Maheshrans live at. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, they don't exactly say. Which does seem to be as near or as far as the story requires most of the time. Right. That they can get there, but it's not incredibly convenient. Mm. Um, during that winter forecast episode, that it seemed like a pretty good trek. Yeah. I liked when Petey was really upset about having to leave and Ronaldo's just taking pictures of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe if he puts it on his blog this time, like someone will actually read it. <laughs> it's a legit alien invasion. <laughs> People just go, oh, that, that hand thing, so shocked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, but he'd probably just cover it with Ronaldoisms and yeah. destroy whatever credibility he had. Yeah. So, whether he actually connects this to his great diamond authority theory or if he returns to some other entirely unattached thing about Sneeple. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a long-standing idea of his that he doesn't seem to have put down yet. So, well, he might think that the snake have a handship because they're jealous of humans having hands when regular snakes don't. <laughs> Accepted. And well, we also saw that Petey is becoming a real workaholic because not only that bit at the start, but he didn't want to leave his place of work when he was getting evacuated. It does seem really like traumatic. I mean, you have to do it at the drop of a hat, and then he's like. How many hats are dropping? Anyway, we always say that. Anyway, he's, you know, he's wondering if he's ever going to see this familiar environment again. And it's pretty traumatic to suddenly evacuate. Just, I'm thinking about the very few times I have run from hurricanes in Florida because we get evacuated sometimes if there's a bad storm. Sometimes it'll be mandatory. We have some of that in fire season, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. So it's really somber like you hope that nothing is going to happen to your home and you just accept you know that the most important thing is leaving with your most important stuff that can't be replaced and your your family and your pets and that's it you know and then when you come back and you know this storm or whatever has happened has been through your area you're like okay what what happened to my home you know the worst that ever happened to me was coming back to my house and like the door was ripped off by the winds and the worst we had was some nasty but ultimately solvable smoke damage at one of the previous houses so i see yeah it's pretty surprising though that there hasn't been anything worse at my house because i have two ginormous trees in the backyard and one of them is over 200 years old And it actually, in fairly mild weather, decided to drop a branch on my roof and it punctured it. Oh, yeah. I remember you talking about that. Yeah. Had water pouring into the ceiling for over a month before I was able to get it fixed. Had a big trash can up there because, you know, storms every single day in summer in Florida. And it's just, Mm. here's here's my uh, my rainwater that I ordered. Yeah, if we occasionally get a rare but powerful storm and a house not too far away was just simply crushed by a nearby tree. Yeah, but it's like when you come home and you're not sure like what you're gonna see, what you're gonna find. Is your is your house damaged? Is it flooded? You know what's happened. I mean, probably the people of Beach City are used to aliens doing weird stuff, but with something like this, they don't know. Yeah, and I don't get the impression that they evacuate terribly often. Though yeah. it occasionally might be a good idea, but this was obviously a rare occurrence. Yeah, if not the first time, at least first time in living memory. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like it was intelligent of them to forge this link between Stephen, who is doing double duty as like human and Jem, to communicate with the mayor about Jem stuff and tell him what's dangerous, what's happening. Mm. 
And it probably would have taken me a Dewey a while to think of evacuation on his own. He doesn't always think in a straight line. Yeah, he's just worried about whether he's going to get blamed for something. Yeah. But, you know, he could just always lie to people. So, mm-hmm. I was sad when Stephen asked Lion to stay put because Dad will need a new son if something happens. Oh, yeah, that was, that was heart-wrenching. And yeah. kind of weird, but heart-wrenching. Yeah. Another surprisingly touching scene was like all the townspeople lining up to see if Greg's kid was okay, you know? Yeah. Was just Heartwarming and also establishes that Beach City isn't one of the communities perpetually on the edge of tearing each other apart. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be a lot of like rivalries or they seem to be relatively close. Like, I guess you kind of have to in a town like and they didn't just go, oh, universe bought it, but got to save our own necks. Mm-hmm. There were most, if not all, of the recognizable faces in the little clump of people. Yeah, yeah. Which may or may not recognize, which may or may not comprise the entirety of the big city population. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was that time when they said, Stephen, that's like 15 people. <laughs> have to count them. <laughs> yeah, well, he... Even Ungin was there, so he's either <laughs> smart enough or his dad could persuade him in Charlie Brown teacher language to come with him. Yes. Mm. So when the handship arrived and kind of did this whole thing, everything kind of from that point on was very green and eerie. And I, yeah. really, I liked how that ambiance was cast by the greenness of the ship. Cool. Yeah, and also just gave the impression the ship just has this raw power that even when it sets down, it's still sending out green energy. Yeah, it's very paradoxy. It's a little creepy to see her there on Earth, too. I mean, I know she came that one other time, she was standing on a warp pad and not interacting with our heroes. So just like, she's here, oh my gosh. Yeah, she's always been some kind of step removed, like on a screen or in the distance from our people or something. This is the first very direct interaction. Yeah. She did, the person you're referring to as the bruiser, she did address her by name. Do you want me to tell you what she said or do you want to wait until? Oh, tell me if I just plain old missed it in the action, then that's fine. Once she just, you know, turned to her and said her name one time, but her name is Jasper. Ah, okay. I probably just adrenaline it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but her phrase was Jasper. They're interfering with my work or something like that. So this is when we're getting like just the shots of her eyes, like close up before we pull out and see like, this is an anime villain with a cape. <laughs> yeah. She's pretty intimidating. But again, I kind of wasn't expecting somebody so like traditional villain in Steven Universe. She had all the marks of this is a bad guy. Yeah. And it's the first gem we've seen that really just on first glance look like they could mess you up. I mean, we know that... The others can hold their own in a fight if they need to, but this one's all muscle or whatever gems have for muscle and right and glares and growling. Mm-hmm. Right. And she also just seems really sullen to be on this dumb mission, you know, like, oh, God, dragged into this not worth my time kind of crap. I mean, until the rose reveal. <laughs> yeah, I, I could be in the Mogadon cluster punching space puppies instead of this. <laughs> But then, like, her tune changes when she thinks Stephen is Rose and saying stuff like, I respected your tactics, but, you know, and says, like, this is, that Stephen is an evidence that Rose Quartz is like, this is sick. That's really an interesting reaction. Yeah. I wonder what's going yeah. on at that point. Yeah, so I didn't, can't quite decide if she directly knew Rose, but they were, I think it's safe to say they were contemporaries of some kind. Yeah, at least from the phrasing on here, she said, I hope to meet her. And most people ex- assumed that meant that she had never met her. But Okay, yeah, not I hope to meet her again. Yeah, that makes sense. Could also be like, oh, I, I hope to meet, I don't know, meet with her would make more sense if she had. So I was kind of assuming from that that she hmm. would meet this, like this badass and kick her ass, have a chance. Yeah, the whole bit of a Klingon thing, you know, she'd be uh-huh. a worthy opponent. Right, whereas everybody else is just going to get blasted with the ship or destabilized with a tool. Hmm. But I can see why Lapis said they wouldn't be able to stand up to their tech. Yeah, and I guess not too much into the whole weird honorable warrior thing because it, I would think this this weapon with which you can basically poke your opponent and make them disintegrate is not an honorable maneuver. Right. Um, 
Did you see what her weapon was? Yes. Well, I kind of assumed that was her weapon, her head armor, helmet, headbutt thing. Weird, like, head buddy helmet. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty cool. Yeah, well, which fits with what little we've seen of her. She obviously doesn't mind getting her hands dirty. All right. And her gem was her nose, which is weird looking. Yeah, that's kind of striking. Yeah. Uh, And I guess from, again, we're still working on an example on a sample size of all of seven, but I guess gem placement overrides what would normally go there. Hmm. She doesn't have a gem on her nose. She has a gem instead of her nose. Mm -hmm. That's what it looks like. Yep. So, where was she hiding that stabilizer thing? Did she just pull it out of her butt? Yeah. Well, she's in a cartoon. You just get stuff from behind your back. That's always been something. As a kid, whenever even like Warner Brothers characters just suddenly had something they just grab it from behind their back and yeah i mean at least some of them acknowledge like mallet space or whatever but <laughs> i don't know or maybe because it's kind of like energy weapon that maybe it would be like you'd just have to have the handle but it seemed like the prongs were not the energy part i don't know yeah it looked fairly solid i mean it could just be that it was in a like scabbard on her back that we couldn't see properly or something yeah yeah i couldn't tell plus she's got like huge hair so it could have been covering wherever the holster was Oh, mm. And, well, technically, from what we've seen so far, she could have hidden it in her gem, but that would look weird when she was through it. Right, yeah. And we didn't see an emerging. It would be funny if she had to do the little martial arts dance that Pearl does. Oh! <laughs> <sighs> Follow-up questions! I think I want to make a probing question about Jasper. Let's go. Since we're talking about her. I guess I kind of have a thing about like just the storytelling when it comes to bad guys in cartoons. So I want to make it about that. So like I said, she's kind of like unambiguously villain coded, right? Mm -hmm. So she's scary looking. She talks gruffly, all that stuff. And so I guess I will ask... You have somebody who is headbutting children and murdering Garnet. Like, what do you think the show would need to do to make someone like her kind of a satisfying villain? I think they'd have to take care not to peak her too early. I mean, well, at at the moment, she's already taken out Garnet, which... Yeah, that's a big deal. ah, It's the wharf effect. (laughs) What's Uh, the wharf? Yeah, I was about to say, on Star Trek The Next Generation and latterly Deep Space Nine, because Worf is the big guy and the security chief and the warrior and all that, to show that something is a serious threat, they'll show it taking out Worf, knocking him out, beating him in a fight or whatever. So the Worf effect is, well, the first part is when you take out the the powerhouse to show you mean business. Mm, and they absolutely did that here. Yeah. The second part, which we haven't seen here, is that when you do this too often, it makes it look like Worf actually isn't good at anything because he keeps getting taken out no matter where they go. Yeah. Okay. But this, it's rare enough to take Garnet out. They haven't crept into the second yeah. half of it yet. Yeah. Although now that's interesting because now we've seen Pearl die and we've seen Garnet get poofed and amethyst is the one who is saying like oh this happens sometimes usually to me and now she's the only one it didn't happen to yet <laughs> anyway continue if you wish yes but if you if you made jasper sort of too powerful and almost win the first time you saw her then it would be very difficult to br- keep bringing her back and not diminish her effect ah. because Likelihood in the long in the long term long running series, the villains seldom win. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's examples of this in other shows, Doctor Who's Weeping Angel, Star Trek's Borg, where you can get away from the one big confrontation where everyone sort of goes, "Phew, we only just made it. We beat them by that much," and still have the villain looking fairly effective. But it means you've got to take a different approach next time. Otherwise, they just I guess it becomes the villainous version of the second part of the wolf effect that they just keep getting beaten. So to keep Jasper interesting and villainous, they may have, well, they may have to give her an actual goal. Her role at the moment, even if she is interested in rose quartzes and gems and things, her actual assigned job is basically hired muscle. Yeah, she had to escort this computer nerd to Earth. So whether she, whether her other roles, which we can, of reporting to Yellow Diamond or said Yellow Diamond, are fixing her for different tasks to take out, would bring bring more to it. I 
I think you can't just keep bringing her back to, oh, this is the one who's really tough and we may not beat this time, even though we did all the other 47 times we met her. So give, giving, I think giving her a goal, giving her something she's working on or yeah. giving her some kind well, her personality, they've done well in the five minutes we've seen her, but we've still only seen her for five minutes. So yeah. building out that, maybe giving her that, seeing if it is a very personal grudge between her and Rose, and if that knocks on to the other crystal gems or what it may mean in this world where Rose is kind of but not entirely gone. Right, and that her quarrel is with someone who is gone, but she doesn't know that. Yeah. And also remains to be seen if she would be any kind of senior villain or always working for someone else, be it Peridot, Yellow Diamond, some other gem. She's obviously more soldier than mercenary, but there's also been thousands of years for her to work on that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so far, the quote, bad guys that we've seen so far, was like Peridot and Lapis are the two homeworld gems that they have fought. And Peridot obviously wanted to do something. She had something that she was trying to do when our heroes stopped her. And the same with Lapis. She was trying to go home and they had to stop her because she was using Earth's ocean to do it. So like we knew what both of them wanted right from the beginning. Well, we don't really know what Peridot wants, but we know she has something she's doing that is being prevented. Yeah, and she seems less to be a key supervillain as sort of a antagonistic pen pusher. Yeah, yeah. she's just really annoyed. <laughs> it, it seems her. It seems that what she wants aligns with the gem homeworld yeah. goals, but it seems her personal stakes are more the irritation that's caused her. And she just wants to do her job. Yeah, and Lapis, at this point at least, I'm satisfied to say, is not a villain per se. She was pretty much, she was lashing out and, well, brain damaged the first time we met her. And the twice we've seen her since, once has been trying to help our guys. Yes. And once is, well, she looks like she's almost a prisoner or at least an unwilling passenger. And based on what we've seen, she looks like she... Far rather everyone just packed it in and went home. Yeah. Mostly she only seems to be worried about whether Stephen is hurt or gets involved. What she was saying, like, oh, well, he's not one of them. He's no threat at all. But she doesn't give a crap if the other three get their hands handed to them. (laughs) Well, Stephen has directly been nice to her. And maybe because she was in a mirror for all those years and maybe just in general, you get the impression that that doesn't happen often. Right. I mean, she was shocked that he was willing to help her and that she act that he actually talked to her and all that stuff and peridot and jasper aren't exactly you know dissuading her of the idea that steven's the only nice person in the universe right <laughs> yeah yeah again i'm kind of wondering if she was trying to get back home to anyone because she has not mentioned anyone yeah i mean even though gems are ageless you kind of very subtly get the idea that anyone she planned to return to or reunite with was lost to her, or at least she believed that. Yeah. I mean, mean, it's not really real world applicable, but if a a human, one of us had been suspended for, you know, even a couple hundred years, we would just take as read that all our friends, family, loved ones, whatever would be, would be long dead by whatever method. And Mm -hmm. we just have to hope there was something we could still latch onto. And Mm -hmm. in Lapis case, not much. Yeah. So it could, yeah. but as we've been told explicitly, gems are ageless, but they're not actually immortal. So it could be that whoever she knew or loved has indeed died through misadventure or whatever else can happen to gems. Yeah. <laughs> or food poisoning. Getting cracked and not having Rose's fountain to throw yourself into. Yeah. You know, there was that time they rose a crop of rotten burritos and turns out that... <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. And well, even without aging, 5,000 years, if we're going from Pearl and her hologram of Rose's remarks, is still plenty of time for people to, to die off, even if they don't actually age. Yep. It's true. Mm. Kind of, there's some morbid inverted version of quantum immortality where it's like every, every day is the least likely day you've for you to have survived to because of the high chances of you dying on any of the previous days before it. 
Well, that's sort of depressing. The idea that, you know, you, like you had, if you had like a one in whatever chance of being hit hit by a bus on Monday, then to get to Tuesday, you had to avoid that one in one in whatever chance, but also avoid it on Tuesday too to get to Wednesday. Mm, wow. Well. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather not be calculating those odds. Yeah, no, it's... It's usually based, it's usually expressed the other way around, the, the idea of quantum immortality that one could, potentially, one could potentially live forever because there's always some chance of survival no matter how unlikely. <laughs> I see. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, I bet you didn't think you're going to hear quantum philosophy on this show about space rock magic people. Well, I think the more we kind of wander off into philosophical crannies that are inspired by the show, the more likely it is that we'll be talking about something nobody's ever heard before. So bringing something to the fandom. <laughs> yeah. So Steven's been headbutted and he seems to have been headbutted pretty good. <laughs> so then the screen just goes black and we have no closing theme. And that's it. Yeah, we don't star out. We go out and don't go out in little twinkle effects. We're just... Yeah. Yeah. So that's how our penultimate season one episode ended. Should I talk about the last few segments that we usually cover before we go on to the next one and see how this ends? Let's do that. Okay. So no... Soundtracky stuff. Most of it was old stuff that had been used before, like the Night Drive music. The lion music, but the soundtrack for Jasper's arrival was new. So that was cool. It's a really interesting. I'm not sure what the instrument is for her, but it sounds like I've never really seen anybody say this, but it sounded to me so much like almost like a train effect, like a very slow, like sort of locomotive chugging noise, which seemed very appropriate to me. Like, she's just kind of powerhouse. Yeah, she's just this unstoppable machine. And all the gems we've seen so far have had their own light motifs, so it fits that she'd get one. Yeah, so they kind of mixed it in with Peridots and Lapises because they all arrived together. So that was a really interesting, but it's very bass-heavy because, like, she's Jasper is bad news. She's scary arrival there. I didn't call it the bruiser for nothing. Yeah, she could definitely play football. <laughs> Maybe if someone taught the gem sport, they'd get over their habit of war. Oh, maybe. Well, given how they handled volleyball and beach party. Not sure <laughs> <that's yet. laughs> they might have to resort to rugby or something. Oh, there you go. Get them hockey sticks. Oh, yeah. Oh, Canadian ice hockey. There you go. I think so. I think we found the sport. Mm. Oh. Food-wise, there's nothing to do except they had fry bits again, and I've done them, so I did again. Yeah. I admit music-wise, at first I thought Greg was going to try to put on one of his CDs to diffuse yeah. the mood, but it didn't happen. Instead, he's like, well, look on the bright side. We're about to go by that waffle place. <laughs> and Stephen's like covering his face because he's so distraught. And Greg's talking about waffles. <laughs> A little bit of just embarrassment of how oddly his dad's handling this. Yeah, that was a hard scene. If only I had known that... The borders were Raven Mollusy and Paul Vileko again. So there were some Paul faces in there. <laughs> Scrunchy Steven faces. Since we have a new character, Jasper, we have a new voice actor who is named Kimberly Brooks. I don't know if I know Kimberly Brooks. She does not ever sound like that in any other language. Ah. She has a very pleasant speaking voice, a very, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but you know, she's done a lot of like video game voiceover and cartoons and stuff like that. The funny thing is she has been at a couple of, I guess, Q&As and a few conventions and stuff and people asked her like well how did you come up with this voice for her i mean it's pretty obvious when you look at her character design like you want her to have maybe a voice that is somewhere in this category but she had the funniest answer she said well i thought of this woman in sears who tried to sell me a refrigerator and she's like i still remember her name her name was betty and she talked like that she was like oh, you need a refrigerator <laughs> she's like doing the Betty voice and she's like, this is the greatest voice I've ever heard. And she decided to use it for Jasper, Betty, the Sears refrigerator saleswoman. So there's fan art out, out there of Jasper selling refrigerators. There's like a lot of it. <laughs> you need this refrigerator. <laughs> so great. I love that story. Yeah. And as for that voice, I mean, we've never been told if gems have cigarettes, but if they do, <laughs> I think Jasper's hit a few over time. <laughs> I don't see why not. <laughs> Especially if you don't really have lungs. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why do you look like that, Rose? <laughs> Great. The, the description for this episode was very vague. It said a new threat arrives in Beach City. That's true. Yeah, yeah. and it, if nothing else confirms to anyone looking at their TV guys that, no, we're not going to distract from all the tension we've been building to have another one where Stephen finds a new hat or something. Yeah. The only other thing I have for the sort of factoid section is that I have to tell you what Ronaldo's blog said for this episode. But of course. <laughs> There's a picture, a blurry picture of the space hand. Mm-hmm. And it's captioned with just like a key smash. <laughs> and then it says some really weird stuff is happening right now. I don't have time to put it all together because we are hauling butt out of town. And then he has a picture that is taken from the back seat of the car. And you can see like his dad and Petey in the front seat. And he says, this is my view right now. In case I get shot down by an alien, there's a folder on my desktop that says, do not delete. Please delete that folder. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's so great. He's still thinking about his computer (laughs) and his blogging and stuff. So I liked that a lot. Yeah. Brand spanking new mint inbox. Let's let's merge away. So this is fun. I have to reposition my camera because I can't reposition the merch very well. Let's see. Ta-da. There we go. Ooh. This is the entire set of pint size heroes by Funko. Ooh. And they are I so can cute. only show you all of them because Jasper is included and she was the last character you have not met. Uh-huh. Wow, we've got so many. Oh, there's an adorable little Greg down there. I might have to give you a nice little tour. Let's see. There's Greg. So there's Greg looking very bald. <laughs> Connie, cutie. Uh, Stevani back there. <sighs> Yay. And Steven. So then we have a little amethyst here and a pearl. She looks weirdly yellow. Yeah, I was going to think that she... I know her skin varies a bit, but it's not usually that yellow. Yeah, I think it's just the paint was not what it was supposed to be or something. Lots of people have been like, does she have jaundice? There's the girl peeking out there. I think I showed you. Didn't I show you these guys that are the water gem things? Y- back yeah, I think there? you showed me I, You showed me some water models. I remember that. Yeah, so I think I just previewed you those, but I didn't want to show you the whole set. But these are all Stevens back here. There's the big donut Steven that I might have showed you before. I can't remember. And this kind, that Steven looks kind of grayish. Yes, he glows in the dark. So this is ah right. So he's funny looking. There's a regular Steven back there. I'm having trouble with the angle because it's all backwards. So there he goes. Oh, you can kind of see him. Sorry. There we are. Smiley Steven. So they're very common. They're, you know, mystery boxes. There's Hollow Pearl back there. And then on the top. We have Watermelon Steven. There's old Jasper. And that's why I decided to include this because this is literally the only toy that exists with Jasper. Oh, and she has the most adorable scowl. Yes. And she's also rare. It's hard to get. So there's Lion, there's Rose, there's Peridot, Lapis, and Onion. Onion. Onion is very creepy looking in this. Doesn't Nobody has a nose, not even Pearl. So she needs a nose to look like Pearl, and she does not have a nose. Yeah. So that I, is... I think, for, I think for most of them, the lack of nose suits the, the skull yeah. style. Yeah. But I mean, this means Jasper is not even like herself. She doesn't have a gem. Oh, yeah. Good point. Like, what the heck? <laughs> I would have thought they made an exception given that her nose is, well, her, really. Yeah. Oh, Lion has a nose. Yeah, Lion gets to have a nose. Does anybody else get to have a nose? I don't think so. That's so sad. Anyway, I figured out that the Stevani figure is like a perfect skin color mix between Steven and Connie. Like, there was like arguments about fan art that was making them like have too light of a skin tone. And it's like, no, like, Tony has pretty dark skin, but people were drawing them like lighter skinned, and that's a hot button issue. So I'm like, yeah, uh, they're pretty much halfway between these two. Gotta draw them with darker skin than Steven. (laughs) So that is my, that is my situation. Oh, there we go. I had to open the thing back up to get it back up onto my computer. <laughs> right. They are very cute. I like those. Yeah, I thought it was time to show you the whole a whole set of toys. The whole gang. Yeah, they're fun. I think I mentioned before also with the water gems that it didn't make sense for there to be a rose quartz one, but I don't know. It was some kind of mystery of merchandising. So, so that is it. Anything else we should talk about with the return before we go to the next episode, which is called Jailbreak? 
<laughs> no, I think we need just to blast on through to jailbreak. All right. Well, let's break through then. Thanks for listening, everyone. And hopefully when I put these things up, they'll be pretty close together. But, you know, you'll have to wait. If not, sorry. <laughs> we haven't quite done not so giant bombs yet. No, no, we haven't. We'll figure it out. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Ivy and Daria on Not So Giant Women. You can find episodes of the show in video form by looking up Not So Giant Women on YouTube or in audio form at anchor.fm slash not so giant women or your podcatcher of choice. You can also find us on Facebook. Audio production by Daria. Video production and music by Ivy. Daria can also be heard on Postploitation, the Ozploitation podcast. And Ivy at her Steven Universe fan blog at love-takes-work.tumblr.com. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and remains property of Cartoon Network. No infringement is intended. <laughs>